0: Hey, welcome to the 116th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing.
1: I'm Matt Enlow. I'm Oren Kaplan. This episode is brought to you by patrons Matt Barber, Jordan Brady, Dempsey K. Tapley, Ryan Moulton, Jonathan Finn-Holliday, David, Nathan Blackwell, Nathan Presley, Artemis, and Luke Sheldon.
0: Hey, thanks.
1: Yeah, if you want to be a patron and help us out with the podcast, help us get our editors paid and everything, check our Patreon
0: out at patreon.com slash just shoot it pod. Even just a buck helps. Thanks, everyone. Today, we've got a great episode. I just shot a short film. I've got a ton of learnings that I want to bring to the table, talk about. It's a great experience. And Oren, you just shot a giant commercial campaign. Yeah,
1: we are just shooting things right and left. Um, yeah, my shoot flipped to Union. We're going to talk about that. Uh, I'm also prepping for a pilot that is a uh, kind of lower budget than I wanted. Um, so we're going to we'll
0: talk about talk- being resourceful. It's a a Matt and Oren episode. Very long
1: catch-up. And before we get into that, here's an iTunes review. A review from MJ Draper. MJ gives us five out of five stars and says, A great resource for aspiring and veteran filmmakers alike, I've been an actor for years, but I've only just recently began to understand the power of creating my own content. Having only identified with the acting side of things, I've been terrified to write my own scripts, let alone direct projects. But this podcast has been an amazing resource and has really helped guide me as I navigate these new concepts. Thanks for the great guests, unpaid endorsements, and thoughtful dialogue. Keep up the great work. Hey, thanks, uh, MJ. Yeah, thanks, MJ. Thanks to you. It's I do feel like a surprisingly high number of actors listen to this podcast. Shout out to Dave Stanbra, who gives me co- a kind of live tweet commentary about each episode we put out. I don't know... If this is true, but I do think that the more actors know about what's going on behind the camera, the better Better they they can
0: be at their job. job. Yeah, definitely. So, Oren. Yes. What have you been working on lately? Well, I've had actually a busy
1: few weeks, which has been really exciting. I just wrapped a campaign I did for Xfinity, which is a Mm -hmm. a Comcast brand. It's a cable company. Uh, We shot 10 spots over the course of three days. So it was like three 30-second spots and seven 10-second social spots. And we shot like the 30-second spots on day one and two, and we shot all seven of the socials on day three. The socials mm-hmm. are 10 seconds each. Yeah, man, rock and roll. All 16 by nine, or were there any, like, one by one? No, uh-huh. so the 30-second ones were 16 by nine, and the socials, we freaking did it. It's my first time, all nine by 16. We got the 90-degree oh. plate, we had two cameras, put them side by side and we shot everything vertically uh in theory one by one safe so it means you can like crop a square out of the what, middle of
0: it so you shot vertically and horizontally simultaneously nope. vertically and vertically wait why did you do two vertical oh, uh, oh for your a and b camera they weren't yeah. side by side you mean like stacked not well yeah
1: stacked so it was yeah, like yeah. a two shot pretty much all of them were a two shot and a single Um, I just messaged you and through Google messages some frames. Did you see them? Do you see them?
0: Yeah. Oh, it looks good.
1: So what I'm showing Matt right now are some of the frames from, like, the first cuts. And they they have a lot of text because these are... So the social Mm -hmm. spots, what's interesting about them is they need to work without sound also. So they usually tend to have a lot of text on them. And so because we're shooting 9 by 16 you have just, like, a ton of room to put the text above
0: mm-hmm. your character. Because wides are really tricky to get, so composing for 9x16, like, a portrait, like, a, a single always looks really good, but, like, if you want to get a little bit more of the environment, you end up with a ton of extra negative space that's kind of hard to deal with, but this text looks great. Yeah. This looks awesome, man. It oh, looks thanks. super good.
1: Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, no, the big problem with shooting vertically is Dolly Track is... <laughs> Hard to get out of your frame. And the boom mic is pretty much impossible to put above your actors.
0: So, did you ever do lock offs and then just like um, mat out the boom? Well, shoot a plate and then mat it out. The
1: sad truth about 10 second social videos is you almost never get to do dolly shots. (laughs) Yeah, sure. If you're doing any coverage, if it's a one shot video, sure. But because all these videos have like three or four shots in them, which means each shot is on the screen for two to three seconds you know they have all this text and selling stuff and a few shots or screens yeah so you, you just don't have time to move the camera so we didn't move the camera and we had it was supposed to be all mos right because none of these spots rely on dialogue because people like just scroll through them on snapchat or instagram or whatever so we had everyone loved and actually in the edits they ended up using some of the stuff that people improvised which i was happy about
0: i thought you said nobody ever uses improv horn
1: Uh, yeah, you're right. Nobody does. I (laughs) guess I'm the first person to use improv. improv. Uh, no, you know, there was like a lot of reactions like, ah, like yells or screams. It's basically all these people playing video games and watching sports and getting excited. But one of the things that the client asked for at the very last minute was to put a marching band in the background of one of the scenes. And I was like, uh, okay, so these are nine by 16. And you are giving us a 12-person marching band. Like, how the hell do you frame, like, the widest thing you can possibly think of in the tallest frame possible? So, I actually sent you. Do you see that last frame? That kid watching a video with a chicken and there's a Uh, marching band behind him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, the client actually had an idea. I was like, I don't know. Marching band's really wide. How do we see them? And they're like, well, can't we just see them marching through the frame, like, a few people at a time? And I was like, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, I guess so.
0: (laughs) And then you have fewer actors as well.
1: Yeah. Well, I had my marching band march in a loop, so the whole time they're marching. I will say that one of the tricky things about these 10-second commercials is, I'm sure you've had the same experience, but when you work with an agency and a client and they've spent all this money, we just spent whatever, $10,000 to get this marching band. We want to shoot a ton of stuff with a marching band and get all these alts and all these different versions. But you as a director are like, well... How many versions do we need? Because I need time to shoot more coverage mm-hmm. and right. make sure all the other stuff is perfect.
0: I love playing as well, but you part of your job is prioritizing, right. because You've got other things to shoot, yeah.
1: But so many times, like the creative director would be like, "Oh, let's just try to take it like this. Let's try to take it. oh, what if this happens and then this happens?" And they're all great ideas, but mm-hmm. I was like, "Dude, that will never. F- this shot needs to be three seconds long." You know? Yeah. So yeah. these two things, like. They high five each other, jump up and do a dance. That's like five seconds. That does not fit into this commercial. So I found myself on set. Like one of my real important jobs was like trying to really clearly nail one beat per shot Mm -hmm. and trying to kind of rein in all the great ideas into like, you know, very much say like those are great ideas. That's super funny. We could try it. But in my opinion, this isn't going to make it into the cut because it takes too long. You know? Yeah.
0: yeah, the politics of directing, I think the more the higher up you get, like the more other people who have a a say. Right. So you feel bad, right? Yeah. You're like, yeah, "Uh,
1: that's a great idea, but it's just
0: not going to (laughs) work. You know, I think we were talking about this before, but there's a weird thing where you get high up and all of a sudden you've got other people to please and it's not just you, you're kind of the middle of the sandwich, as I like to say, and there's a little bit of like jealousy that sort of comes up in me at least where it's like, like I want to be pitching crazy ideas and trying all the soup, all these like fun things and, you know, just spread my wings creatively. But I also know um, that the sun's going to be going down in a few hours. Right. And so like I, I'm jealous that these people can be sticklers or be they're unencumbered by the realities of filmmaking in a way that like due to experience and planning and prep, like no one knows the project like we do from an execution standpoint, especially that just makes it all so complicated. And also just from being
1: on so many sets and having done this so many times, like You know that at some point one of your actors is going to have to go to the bathroom, you know, and you're all just going to sit there waiting. Like, you know that, like, some piece of wardrobe isn't going to look right. Or, like, like we had this chicken mascot costume and it was wearing a shirt that said, you know, name of a college on it. And it just kept, every time the chicken was dancing or moving around, like, the shirt would wrinkle. So, we, you know, every time the client would be like, the shirt's wrinkled. The shirt doesn't look good. The shirt. And I'm like, it's fine. Obviously, we want to fix it. But before when we're on the calls before the shoot and the client's like what's going to take so long we won't be nitpicky like just go just shoot it's going to be real fast yeah you're yeah. like okay it's not it's not about you being nitpicky it's literally things we just have to do like we have to call last looks when someone's hair looks crazy you know or when somebody spills some water on their pants and now there's a stain on their pants you know yeah, a wet spot on their pants it's not anything under our control or people are trying to walk through the set so yeah
0: i i think about i can't remember who i'm stealing this from but i remember reading an article where they, they said that basically like production is a situation where you're trying to drive cross-country and you've timed it out so that you think you're going to hit every single green light <laughs>
1: right exactly but that's i feel like our job as the director and the producer to some degree is right it's to, to say, like
0: well no we're gonna hit a few reds
1: yeah, and there will be some yellow lights, and we'll make some yeah. wrong turns, and we'll have yeah. to recover. And that happened on this shoot all the time. It was like, here we go, and here's the set. And the client's like, okay, what other couch options do we have? Right. Right. And okay. we're on the sixth floor of a building that has no working freight elevator, and the art team literally had to build the couch inside the apartment. And I'm like, "Uh, we have two couches. You've seen both of them. We've got nothing else. I'm sorry. Um, so... Yeah. Anyway, the shoot was really fun. It, we were. It was probably one of my bigger, um, just from a production standpoint, shoots I've had in a while. We had like eight trucks. We had. I actually made a video. I was maybe gonna put on our website or something. Um, and now I think I can. Originally I was like, <laughs> so we'll talk about this later. But the shoot was non-union, uh, and it flipped to be union on day two. But when it was non-union, and I was recording this, I was worried that like all the union. Uh, crew members were like going to get weird with me recording them. Right. right. Um, but I feel like now it's not weird anymore. I guess I (laughs) could blur their faces. I don't know. But basically I just like walked down the sidewalk, you know, here's the generator. We had, uh, props had their own truck. You know, art had their own truck. Production had a truck. Camera had a truck. Grip had a truck. Electric had a truck. Production had like a big production moho with bathroom makeup, wardrobe. And then we had, uh, one other truck, like a PA Mm -hmm. truck type of thing. Plus transpo. Yeah. Oh, and we had all these shuttles to shuttle people from the parking lot to there. And when we turned union, all those drivers had to be replaced by Teamsters, which is like, yeah, you they're know, so
0: expensive, very <laughs> expensive. The one thing that I really like about that, though, is that I feel like Teamsters like so often on a non-union production, someone will just hire like a teenager or like a 25 year old to drive the truck and you're asking for it. Right. When you get a Teamster, they can, like, back up a semi with their eyes shut through a six-inch hole. You know what I mean? Like, they are so good at driving. Yeah, their and specialty do, is driving. Yeah, and I like that much better because at least I know that they're in—we're in really good hands. And that, like, a person whose whole vocation is driving is the person driving. These frankly, very— Right, unwieldy vehicles.
1: Driving very big wheels. I, well, I totally agree. I will say the drivers we did have were also very experienced. It wasn't like oh, eighteen-year-old yeah. PAS. It was like you know, yeah, yeah. people with ten years of experience in the art department sure. and and now they're camera out people. of a
0: job or whatever. Yeah, that sucks. Yeah,
1: well, yeah. I mean, they were doing other stuff for the art department as well. Um, you know, a lot of them were union members, and because of that, we flipped. You know, um, right. but anyway, so because we had such a big kind of footprint, right? So I'm sure most of our listeners know, but some people don't like when you have like a bigger production and you're going to scout a house or an apartment or a restaurant, one of the things the producer or the locations manager is looking for is like how much, uh, sidewalk space we need. You know, we need a hundred feet of sidewalk. We need 200 feet of sidewalk to park all our things. And they need to go get permission from all the places they're parking in front of, to park the trucks, right? And if there's houses, it's a residential neighborhood, you have to get permission from the neighbors to shoot there, it's a whole big involved thing that luckily we usually don't have to deal with. So on this production, because we had all these needs, we had one location move and it was a location move to a place that was less than a mile away and it took two full hours.
0: Yeah, yeah, the drive time is not really a big variable in a company move. Like it can be if it's like more than 20 minutes away, but the, the real-time suck is just in the load in and out.
1: And I'm sure um, everyone knows what a company move is, but it's basically when you wrap one location, load all your stuff onto the trucks, all your actors, all the everything, and move to a different location and restart the, the whole day at the new location. And it's usually like a pretty big restart because you have to strap everything down when you're driving, right? And unstrap, right. load and unload. It's like it's almost takes you as long to start up at the second location as it did at the first location. The only difference is maybe some of the actors have already been through hair and makeup.
0: Mate, but they all need touch-ups and stuff still. It's like starting over, effectively.
1: Yeah, which is why you do anything in your power yeah. to avoid a company move. And so on. The, on this shoot, in those first three commercials, we had like eight locations or something. But I tried to find two locations that could work for eight locations. Right. Anyway... So that was really fun. Sorry, that was a really long summary of what I did last week. But what I'm doing next week is I'm shooting this pilot presentation for E. I think I talked about this on the podcast before. But so the way E does their pilot program is they give you a pretty uh, small amount of money to basically shoot. It's like a proof of concept, but it's like a 12 to 15 minute like mini version of the episode. Mm-hmm.
0: And is is the... Uh the concept that you're presenting or the thing you're shooting, is it meant to go on air in success or is it purely a proof of concept and everyone knows they'll reshoot things?
1: It's purely a presentation, which is why yeah. you can do like the 12 minute version of what would traditionally be a 22 minute show. Right. And one of the things is like the script for our pilot presentation has so many things that would be impossible to legally clear mm-hmm. um, because it's a show with all these historical recreations where are We take a lot of objects and posters and things from the past that, and even a few video clips that I think normally you would have to pay for if it goes to Mm -hmm. air. Right. Um, right. But I guess when I took the job, I obviously still would have taken the job, but I didn't realize how incredibly small the budget is. (laughs) Um, And so now I'm finding myself really having to do a lot of the producing, like line producing, Mm -hmm. not having to do it, but really get deep in there because my art person who says you know this is a six person job gets one assistant you know and my dp who says this is like i need at least four people to light the stage is getting one person you know mm-hmm. and i need to yeah. he said the budget for lighting was somewhere between six and eight thousand dollars and they told him he can have five hundred dollars you know right. so when you're in that situation like how do you even start approaching it like he literally on the low end thinks he needs 12 times as much money as they are offering um so what, yeah. what do we do? It's weird because all the rates, the crew rates are fine, but there's just
0: barely any crew. Yeah, it's a weird thing that I've experienced just recently where you're like, oh, this is a name brand. Everyone's heard of this thing and, you know, the company creating it and the rates are good. Normally the rate is the thing when you're first offered to come onto a project. They're like, oh, this is what you're making. That's the thing that um, really indicates the scale of the production that you're doing. So if it's a good rate, then you're, you're happy that you're making money, but also that like, um, you're relieved because it feels like, Oh, I'm going to have the resources to pull this ambitious thing off. And now I'm really excited for it. And it's a weird switcheroo. And I think it kind of comes out of, um, the non-scripted disciplines. So like if you're working with a company that's used to reality or doc or something like that, or, or talking heads, that sort of stuff, then they they have a totally different mindset for what it takes to shoot a thing, you know?
1: Right. So, like, this company I'm working with has done all unscripted things before, right? And unscripted in our world means, like, reality shows uh, or news shows or interview shows, things like that. So they had, like, a two-person sound team, which I don't, you know, I could probably live with one person. They had, like, a six-person camera team and three cameras, which... I could probably survive with one camera. I'd like to have two just because we're shooting so much, but they had like one person on lighting and one person on art, which those, those departments are where I'm like, what <laughs> I need way more on art and lighting. Right. Um, and so it's interesting. They also like, they, we need to shoot in a restaurant and they, I was trying to find kind of affordable restaurants and they sent me this one restaurant location. And I was like, wow, this is like, it's like a $4 sign restaurant. It's beautiful glass walls, everything. And the, EP was like, yeah, this place is uh, affordable. And I was like, oh, really? That, I'm like shocked that this is affordable, right? Because right. like what I would pay for dinner there is probably as much as our entire budget. And so I was going on the assumption it was we could shoot there. And then when I had a meeting with them in person, they said, oh yeah, they said we can like shoot in the corner. They're not going to shut down the restaurant for us, but we can right. shoot there for a couple right, hours. Right, right. And I was like, uh, we need the whole restaurant. <laughs> we need it for 12 hours. We need to be able to unplug refrigerators and do all that stuff like i can't like i could maybe yeah. do it in six to eight hours if you want but then i would have to do a company move to somewhere else yeah, yeah um so it's like a whole different thing i wonder when you did ellen did you guys ever do that where you just walked into a place you know put up like a kino or a quasar tube or something and just shot three cameras and left i guess even when i saw you that's kind of how we shot that um that zip line place
0: well they i don't think there was even lighting there right we we would light sometimes and sometimes we wouldn't yeah and it's because i think that in general you can like you can get away with the cameras are so good now and if you, you hire skilled people who have good taste i think you can always find a spot or two where the lighting looks nice and if you don't if you're just doing an interview for 15 minutes um then you're not worried about that light moving or anything like that. Like you don't need to control things, and you can just roll with the punches. And I, so I think that like coming from that discipline and that world, um, yeah, you just you don't pull out lights all the time, right? And you're
1: also shooting for like 20 minutes for something that'll end up being 20 seconds, right? And right. you have three right. cameras, exactly. you yeah. have so much coverage, and you are building,
0: yeah, the best part parts of it in post. Yeah, yeah. Most of the time, you're just looking for that that sound bite. Uh, in the interview that's like oh my god i can't believe this thing happened or like i was so scared and then everything turned out great i love everyone you (laughs) know like it's designed for a totally different piece you know like field packages for a daytime tv show or a variety show the audience expectation is that it's okay for it to be a little rough around the edges you know like if you were shooting something for jimmy kimmel like you know you want it to look awesome and like talented people can run around and do that very quickly. The audience understands that their, their turnaround is really fast. So they're more forgiving in a strange way. I think, I don't know. Right.
1: You know, it it is interesting working. I think I talked about this before how they had story producers and uh, APs, you know, Mm -hmm. when I just wanted like a production manager and like a production designer. Um, but yeah, so it's kind of, so, so this is what I'm doing first of all, well, we have a two Alexas, which mm-hmm. in theory you could change those out to be C300s. And again, this shoot is a presentation, so it's not going to air, right? right. But, but if I, it, the better I want it, it looks, to be awesome. Yeah. Yeah, the better it looks, the more likely it will go to air. Right. So we're sticking with the two Alexas. We went from getting like a full-on Steadicam with an operator. We switched that person out for our DP with a Movi, mm-hmm. <laughs> which I'm not crazy about because it's I wanted to design the show in a way where it's almost all steady cam shots. Very much like Adam Ruins Everything style. Yeah. So people walking yeah. around talking to camera, talking to things, you know. So yeah. I think it'll be clunkier with the Movie and the D P who's worried about ten other things, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And so the product the producers were like, Well, what if we give you a steady cam one day and then you can mm-hmm. you don't have it all the days? I'm like, Well, but that's the whole language of the show is Steadicam. So what, we'll have it in the opening sequence, but not in any other scene? So I'm, I'm really fighting for the Steadicam. So that's something I'm not willing to compromise on. But what I did do, which I think I mentioned to you, is we actually have a listener, Marshall Lemming, who had emailed me and offered, hey, I will hook you up with a free crew if you want. We all graduated from film school. We're all moving to LA. If you ever want free crew, let me know. You know, just... Within reason, just for a couple of days. Right. So I hit him up and he's he's going to help me out. There are all these, you know, we're going to see how it all works, I think, to make sure everyone's insured and stuff. You have to pay them something. But, um, again, it's like closer to $150 a day than $600 a day. Right, um, right, right, right. Is kind of, so, I don't know. So that's one thing I'm doing. And then I'm just like going through the script and slashing things. And I'm like, yeah. hey, there's 85 props. There's literally... A scene where this woman has an afghan, you know, like a blanket mm-hmm. that has like certain words like stitched into it. And I'm oh, like, we we could do that. But it, that's going to take all the art resources for this one joke. Right. That's not even necessary. So um, I'm like, I'm just trying to fix it at a script level to make it less art intensive. So, yeah, it's tricky. So you just had a shoot. Um, you just did a short film and you self-financed it. So you probably had.
0: I did. Similar things too. Yeah, I did. I did. So after I had been on that job for the last couple months, um, I really wanted to do something scripted. And also it had, I realized it's been kind of a while for me for when I have shot something that I wrote, I've been writing a lot and selling those scripts and then not shooting them. And I've been shooting a lot, but it's all scripts that other people have written. And so, you know that's going to change relatively soon and obviously like i do a pass on stuff all the time but yeah it's been kind of a while since i wrote something that i saw all the way through and so i wanted to do that again and it had been a while and also i think it was an exercise in just shooting it just kind of like knowing that without it being totally insane or life-altering i could uh call in a few favors and borrow some gear and go shoot something um, and it was it was interesting, man. It was like, like I'm still wrapping my head around the emotional journey that it was um, because it was, yeah, it was self-financed and I did cut certain corners that we are both used to having on sets that I kind of chafed out a little bit. Um, but also it's fascinating to be around a crew that small but at a very... Uh, experienced level it it was basically as though my film school buddies all spent a decade leveling up and getting awesome but then came back and made a student project again the crew was me um our two actors uh a dp an ac sound producer a pa makeup wardrobe makeup and wardrobe yeah yeah so still in art
1: no art where you i was in the art department yeah yeah and was uh you filmed at madeline and we house, yeah Mad- so was
0: so we uh producer slash site rep madeline
1: yeah cool did she was she there when you were filming
0: she was yeah yeah oh cool yeah
1: so i imagine i imagine when you work with really experienced people you gain something but there's also a tiny bit of a loss right because i i would think you gain experience they know what to do they're mm-hmm. efficient they make good stuff you can count on them they know what they're doing there's very few mistakes. Yeah, I had a gaffer too. Yeah. I oh, and a gaffer. But what you lose is maybe that excitement of like, hey, we're all in a set together and this is so fun and we're like a family and we're like, yeah, doing it, this and we're following our, chasing our dreams.
0: It was like a good, you know, I have like a, a knack for bringing people who have great attitudes to set. So it wasn't a coincidence that everybody there was like really cool and in a great mood and got along and like, you know, they were all friends. Like, I think everybody had worked with a few other people at any given time, you know? So like, it was a, it was a small crew of people that it all, you know, they were all at least one degree away from each other, even if you took me out of the equation, you know? So like, uh, so in that way, it was, it was fun. But yeah, it wasn't like camp. It wasn't, um, it was friendly, but it wasn't like, everyone's best friends at the end and like they're gonna miss each other so much you know
1: (laughs) (laughs) right well let me ask you this when you're doing a short like this with your experienced friends and i'm assuming you're paying them nothing or barely anything um how important is it for you to pitch them pitch to them that you're making something special you know like do you say like this is why i'm making this short this is why it's important this is why it's going to be good and this is why you should be a part of it
0: i think that it's a mix i think that there were people there and and that's making me realize how lucky i am because i think there were people there who like you know the script would have been garbage and they were there to help me out i'm pretty loyal i'm pretty good about getting other those people's names out you know i make sure i refer uh refer them whenever i can so like this is a town of recommendations and so and I get hit up for recommendations all the time because I tell people I want to recommend people and so yeah there were plenty of people who would have just like done it because it was because the right you know I will say
1: a quick aside a lot of times people email Matt and me especially if they're like directors and they're looking for a crew person and Matt is very good he'll always send back like a list probably one of these six people yeah do you have it organized like mm-hmm. in an excel spreadsheet yeah, and that, or something
0: that that is thanks to my wife chrissy she has a she puts together a crew list we'll like tear down like we'll take a look at a call sheet we'll pull our favorites so the people that like really like hit it out of the park like we have notes like we have an excel sheet of all the positions yeah and it's really? it's explicitly so that i can refer them later
1: yeah well that makes sense i was so shocked by how easy it comes to you and i'm like "Uh, let me find this call sheet i think there might be a person
0: and 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 it's genuinely because i remember when we were doing squaresville one of the things that really was a big incentive was like getting people's names out there to our peers who were looking for good crew members Um, and i remember my production designer had just moved to town and literally she said like for the first year or two 100% one hundred percent of her income was through my referrals. Oh damn! Did she give you a percentage? No, but she like she would have come out for this job for free if she was available. She was just booked on something. Mm.
1: You shouldn't have recommended her.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now she's doing doing TV uh, and killing it, uh, and I love that. I want that to happen. So that's that's kind of the point. Um, but so the other yeah, the kind of the other half of that coin is like yeah, it has to be good, and I think that that's like the difference between. What, um, where you are in your career basically, like what do you need, you know? Right. But in every circumstance, I'd worked with all of them uh, a bunch of times.
1: Cool. And so, so how'd you do? Did you just not do any art since there was no art? Department?
0: Um, so one of the things that was really like fortunate and well timed is that because Madeline, our producer, was so kind to lend us her apartment, volunteer her apartment, um, we got in the day before and loaded in a bunch of stuff and then did rehearsals in the space with the DP as well. So we did like, we blocked through everything. Like we kind of knew how everything was going to feel and where everyone was going to be so that we could pre-light basically. And that day I spent kind of figuring out what the angles would be and then also what we needed to dress, but you know, it's an apartment. So like it wasn't, we didn't have to do too much. Right. And
1: when you're saying you figured out what angles, would you like take the camera and walk around and look at the screen? No, no. It's not like like we
0: went with Artemis, but I just knew what walls I was going to see basically, like where the action was going to happen. And because it's also simple, it's, it's two characters in a room or a couple different rooms. So it wasn't like it was overly complicated. Yeah. I like did very little. I swapped out some lamps and like, you know, added some betting and things like that.
1: And so when you make a short like that, do you tell, like, your reps and stuff, your manager, your yeah, lawyer, you know, whatever? I, are you like, hey, I'm making a short, and this is
0: going to, like... I mentioned you know, it to them me. a little bit. I think once it's done and I can send them a link, that's when they'll be like, oh, I see. Because they hear short, and, like, they don't care until it wins Sundance, basically, right. you know. Or until they can send it to people, or they say, oh... This is a perfect sample. Now you can get on Modern Family or whatever. You know, like they'll be glad that I made it and excited by it, but not not until it's done, basically. Well, cool. Well, any other takeaways from that project? Um, any other takeaways? I mean, I feel like so many. Like I said, I'm still processing them. It was, it, you know, it was a mission accomplished in that, like, we did it. You know, like it's not that crazy to just like write a script, send it to your friends, get notes, rewrite it. Tell everybody. And you and produced day. it, right? Uh, I did with my friend Jill Jask, who is also a, a great producer. So that was the interesting thing. I think you, when you level up, it's also a thing of like you realize how many things you don't know about anymore. You know, like who, <laughs> right? all of that behind the scenes stuff, or like who tiny things that you just never like. Do you know, Oren, who brings the CFAST card reader for an Alexa on a shoot? Whose job it is to have that? <laughs> Um, the DIT I don't know <laughs> I would think the camera team it could be with it could be from the camera rental and we borrowed it it could be the DIT the DIT is likely to have it but I didn't know and I only had an AC and a DP and a borrowed camera and it was like that morning I was like do I have a card reader for this and uh, we had to go buy one. Oh, how much does that cost 30 bucks You know. oh that's it yeah it wasn't bad but probably frustrating yeah so,
1: um, well cool. Well you said it was emotional. Is that what you were talking about?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that like it, it was emotional in that I I've got all my friends making this thing with me and like there's the anxiety of like, oh, is this going to be good? You know, I brought all of them here, like they're all doing great work and also like none of them ever said this at all, but like doing way more jobs than they're used to. You know yeah. what I mean? Like
1: they have less support. Than they they, used they have to.
0: less support than they they used to. Yeah. So like my AC also did all of the data management, and my DP did an awful lot of lighting and rigging. You know, like just stuff that they haven't done in a long time, and did it with a smile and with compassion and like it was great. Uh, but I felt responsible for that, and so the the pressure for it to be good. Because they're there because they want it to be good, you know. They're not there for any other reason, other than to be nice to me, is an extra weird level of pressure, you know. Like, we're, right. we're, like when we do a job and everybody's making the rate that they are happy to make, if it's bad, they don't. They care. don't care. They don't care exactly. And so, being the writer and also having my wife star in it and also having all my friends in it. It's like just an extra level of psychic energy that I just wasn't thinking about.
1: Well, let me ask you about that for a second. How, I mean, I know, obviously you've worked with Chrissy before, but how is it directing your wife in a scene that's kind of based on you and your wife, but you are not playing you?
0: Yeah. Um. You know, it's it's based on, it, just to clarify, I should have set this up earlier, but so it's about uh, basically a couple that... Uh, they're in their 30s, they don't have kids, they love their lives, and she finds a gray pubic hair, and they have an ensuing conversation about age, and their trajectory, and what they want out of life, basically, as a result of it, and kind of spin out of control. It is ripe content for um, people in our life. In our stage of life. Yeah, in our stage of life, and like the people who are making the movie with us. And so, you know, it's got like real emotional heft, and also you know, I've said pube more times um, on that day than I had in my total life combined, probably. You know, like, they're holding a gray pube and talking about it and doing focus racks to it, and, you know, like, it's like a pube joke on top of everything. So, you know, the thing is, is that my wife's a pro, and, like, you know, there's some implied nudity, and, like, there's some some stuff that could make a person uncomfortable, and I think because she is so good... It was. It made everything easy.
1: But since she's playing kind of herself, do you ever say like, you know, this is like you, so pretty much you just do what you would do. Um, is there that conversation. No,
0: we didn't have that conversation because she's she's not really not really playing herself. Actually, is I think. Well, it's a you like person. Yeah, I mean, is she like my voice? A, a woman who is in a long term relationship and doesn't have a kid and is in her thirties? Yes. There were personal conversations about it in terms of like how people are going to perceive it or like what our parents are going to think or like, you know, that sort of stuff that is complicated and is emotional. And there, there were conversations of like, you know, you're doing that thing, you know, like don't read it like that because people won't like that. You know, that that did happen, but it all happened well before we were on stage. You know, like a, one of the big advantages is like we got to rehearse together one on one and go through beat by beat the objectives and ideas and like take basically before we were shooting.
1: Something my wife, Kara, and I got into a little argument last night about something. And I was like, oh, man, this argument is like so real and perfect. Mm-hmm. Like I kind of want to put it in my, mm-hmm. my screenplay that I'm working on. Mm-hmm. it's it's kind of about a couple like us a little bit Mm -hmm. yeah i mean at its essence they're they're very different from us um in other ways but i was like well i wonder if i put that in there if that will like bother her do you ever do like is that anything you're ever sensitive to
0: i mean i think that you you have to write for emotional truth right and the people who are close to you are they, they're going to read into things, but you're not going to be able to control the ways in which they read into them. You know, I feel like my parents, every time I tell them about a project, they're like, oh, well, is that about us? And sometimes <laughs> right. the answer is yes, and sometimes the answer is like, no, it's about a kid I went to junior high with. It's
1: about a guy that keeps lying to
0: his parents about
1: things. Yeah. He's <laughs> yeah. like, you're like, no, it's not about you. Yeah,
0: right, yeah. So I think you always start from that that point of inspiration from your life, but I think then... By the time you're with a, in a final draft, it's things have changed so much and the circumstances have changed so much that like the y- the people close to you have no right and absolutely every right getting mad at you about every single character and every single conflict that you write. Do you know right. what I mean? Yeah,
1: um, that does remind me. I'm gonna just make a note for myself to put that into my into my first act somewhere. My problem is I keep on coming up with new ideas for like character development in the first, first act, act. And at the end of the day yeah, yeah. it's probably i'll need one of these like 50 things to happen right right uh so cool so i think i need to make a short too can you send your crew list over <laughs> i can yeah
0: yeah it's equal parts like really awesome and exhilarating and exhausting i slept all day yesterday right and now you need to edit it too which is the most depressing part well i'm lucky i have a another editor doing it so i'm not gonna do it oh are they have they started already um probably not i think he's gonna start in a couple days cool but also like the edit is gonna be pretty straightforward honestly i don't think it's gonna be like coverage is still pretty simple and like i took a handful of takes and you know yeah but those are like famous last words yeah I guess that's true my brother actually he called
1: me yesterday he's like hey uh he my brother's an engineer but he like kind of likes making videos for fun and he's like hey I just like edited this thing for someone and like the sound guy's asking for an omf and I have no idea what that is can't I just give him my premiere project and I was like no it's like you know sound people they need omf files to put into pro tools or whatever uh and he's like well he's gonna add all the sound effects right he's like I don't really put any sound effects or ambience or anything in there and I was like well then what did you do like that's like you know what they say is that 70% right. of like the pict- of the movie is sound and so I think like all those things especially when it's like super straightforward. the thing that my brother was editing was like a one shot short film mm. so there's not much editing you know he added some titles and retimed some things and I'm like but dude that's your job is to like add all the sound effects Right. Like, the sound mixer will balance them and maybe make them better or whatever but like
0: yeah. you can't unless editor yeah.
1: adds a sound you know yeah. so I think like Even when you're like, oh, it's so straightforward. It's like those tiny little things become so important. The atmospheric sounds, the music, the pacing, you know. Yeah. um, The looks, the reactions. Anyway, I've seen, we have this friend who made this short film. I'm sure I told you about this, but uh, he edited it, got rejected from every single film festival, right? It It was kind of about his life. It was about his childhood in Orange County or something. Had some cool shots, but it didn't really make much sense. Freaking Matt Barber, who's been on our podcast a bunch of times, went. He recut that short, got into Sundance, got into Cannes, got into Venice. Um, yeah, insane, right? So it's like, just goes to show you not that you can fix any footage, but uh, you know, the edit. And hit. And if you watch the short, you're like, this short requires almost no editing. It's like these super wide shots that play out a whole scene in them and stuff. But it's wow, there is set up in a pacing and a rhythm and that's why when he was going to edit my feature and i was so stoked and then he couldn't come to an agreement with my producers on the rate and the credit and the back end and i was like so bummed uh, so sucks, I was like man. this guy can take footage and get it into sunday yeah <laughs> anyway shorts man yeah We're making a comeback i think Vimeo, they are. it's bringing him back you know what's so
0: funny is the uh the first uh the day before the shoot i was like i'm gonna do this again I can't wait. I've already got the next one in mind. This is going to be so much fun. Um, and then that night I was like, oh, I can't do this again.
1: <laughs> yeah. You
0: know, it's like this weird, funny combo. But I think it's more just like allocating the right amount of resources to it. Right.
1: To me, it's just so hard to like say I'm going to not worry about paid stuff and just put all my focus on this unpaid thing that might well add up to nothing. To- but they always add up to something? They like always add
0: thing. up to something. And also, I wrote it while I was on a paid gig. Right. And, yeah, I guess that helps. And so, <laughs> it, what, this was just the first weekend that uh, everyone was free after my paid gig was done. That is the beauty of a short. It's easier to pull off a short than to write a feature while you're also on a paid gig. It's 10 pages, right. you know?
1: Well, I just got a text. This is live update for the podcast. My shoot, my pilot shoot just pushed. Oh, man. My main talent backed out. Ugh. Crazy. Officially.
0: The life we talked of the about
1: this probably happening, but man, that's what happens in this town. That's why you got to get 10 jobs lined up. I mean, I think it'll still happen, but it, now it might intersect with another job. Ugh. So anyhow, well, well, cool. Well, yeah. So the final thing I want to talk about, and we save it for the end because I think we realize that a lot of people will not care about this at all. Um, but uh, I wanted to just talk about unions for a minute. I am personally not in any unions. My wife is in SAG, and because she's in that union, uh, you know, one of the things you get from being in a union is obviously protections, like and a lot of help making sure you're not being put into dangerous situations, but also a lot of times they will help you with your pension mm-hmm. and your health insurance. And I think the health insurance is the thing that, as you become a professional freelancer in film is really important. And so we get all of our health insurance for our whole family through my wife. because She's in SAG. That's pretty nice. Yeah. Uh, for us, obviously, there's a DGA, which would provide something similar for us. Um, but just like SAG and those other guilds, the advantages of being in the DGA is you get all that stuff, and you you know are you're on this list of and you're available to do these like really great big projects. But the disadvantage is that it's harder for you to work on non-DGA projects, which. Uh, A lot of the branded content and commercials and things that we work on are non-DGA.
0: Yeah, there's a transitional period where when you go into a union where like all of the old jobs that you were maybe making a living on, um, you can't take those anymore, but you don't have as many new jobs knocking at your door yet. You know, you don't have the same sort of contacts and the same sort of pool. Um, So it's a tricky transition. I know a lot of our peers that have gone DGA, you know, it's a, it's a rough first year unless they've got something really awesome lined up. And that's the reason they're going DGA.
1: Right. Or they get to direct things, but they're off the books. So um, like when I did my Comcast job, most of the people I was working with are producers guild, directors guild, union. And, uh, they were like, should we put your name on the casting notice and on the permit? And I was like, as director, I was like, yeah, sure. I don't care. Um, and they're like, okay, cause you're not, cause if you're in DGA, you wouldn't want that because this is a non DGA right, project. Right. Um, and so for those that don't know, the DGA obviously covers directors, the Directors Guild, but also covers first ADs, second ADs. UPMs. Uh, UPMs, yeah, yeah. There's a bunch of other people. And then the other guild, obviously, that people know about is the WGA, the Writers Guild. And then all the other unions, the below-the-line unions, are all kind of grouped together uh, under an organization called the Um And so that's like, and those unions tend to have numbers, like... Eight, local 80 is the grip union. Right. And oddly enough, also craft services in that union, right? Costumes have their own union. Electricians, 728, you know, all the lighting people, 600, right. all the camera people. And so the unions obviously are a really great thing for people. It lets, if you are an electrician, you work in lighting for 30 years, like the only way you can get insurance and right. retirement is if you're in a union, right? So it's, it's like a giant... It's like an awesome thing to be in a union.
0: It also um, makes sure that the number of people that are hired on a job is commensurate with the size and scale of the job. So like a producer can't skimp on like, well, I'm just going to hire one guy when it should be four, you know, um, that's right. part of it as well. Like you, you have protections, basically. You have a person to call if you're being abused.
1: And what we said about the trucks earlier, like you, you bring the Teamster union in they will be towing the generator and driving the big trucks and not making some 18-year-old PA pick up some truck and tow a generator and have that generator fall off their truck on the freeway like happened to me right uh, so because the, and they, don't they know also, what they're doing right you know right and they enforce meal penalties which means you have to get fed every 6 hours um and if you don't then you have to get paid for not eating <laughs> they also enforce overtime and turnaround which means that you have to go home for a certain amount of time and get a night's sleep before you have to be back at work again
0: all of which sounds like oh common decency and like it makes complete sense but those protections are there for a reason you know like the point of it all producers would look at numbers and say oh what if we fudge this what if we fudge that what if
1: Someone doesn't sleep yeah, as It's much. only another 15 minutes. Right, exactly. Everyone's like, that's fine, but everyone's going to get paid yeah. another 15 minutes yeah, yeah. worth of salary. Um, and a lot of that stuff coincides coincides with California labor law. Like, obviously, in California, there's minimum wage. There's You have to get fed every once in a while. You have to you get breaks, overtime yeah. automatically at certain times. So, anyway, so why on earth would you ever do a shoot non-union? Um, What's your answer? Well,
0: the answer is because... In order to join a union, you have to have had the experience. They, they, the other thing about unions is that they guarantee a certain level of competence, right? Um, right. And so you're an
1: official. You're made official as that. Position. You're bona fide. You're kind of certified. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah.
0: So, so as a result, though, you have to gain that experience some way. So you need to work non-union in order to kind of learn how to do all of those jobs before you can collect your hours and join one of those unions. So that's one good reason. The other reason is just like. The barrier to entry, in general, is just much lower, and so if you're new in town and you don't know, don't have a network yet, and you're just trying to like, you know, make rent, like uh, there are uh, producers out there, some of whom are unscrupulous, and some of them who are just like digital or new or whatever, who will hire you for a typically a much lower rate than a union job would be and um, still try and produce some cool content.
1: Right. So I think it's beyond obvious why someone would take a non-union job. Um, But why, like let's say you're short last week, why was that not a union
0: project? If you want to hire good people and take good care of them. Sure. Money. Yeah, money is the exact reason. There were people there who were there as a favor. You know, there were people there when they were getting paid, they were getting paid paid. More as a stipend or as a as a thank you than an actual day's work. You know, no one was paid anywhere near what they are worth. None of them. Right. So yeah. So on my
1: job, you know, it was a commercial job. We had a budget. Um, it was a big client, and so uh, I asked, like, well, and you know, all, a lot of the people that worked on it were union, and so I asked mm-hmm. the people that decide whether a job is union or not union. It's like, why don't we just make it union from the beginning, right? Like we, we want to treat everyone well. We want everyone to be safe. We want everyone to be happy. What is the disadvantage of going union? And yeah, the answer is everything becomes way more expensive, yeah. right? Someone has to pay for that health insurance that right. the union gives you. So, right? yeah. You have to pay into their health, into their pension. You have to bring on drivers that cost, you know, $45 an hour or whatever that have to come in two hours before the day starts and go through like two hours after the day ends. So they're automatically getting a ton of overtime. You know that on a union shoot, you need teamsters to drive you for the location scout. Uh, Oh yeah. The director and the DP drive. So that's automatically like, Oh, there's like another $800 (laughs) that we weren't expecting to spend. So, uh, you know, when a client comes to you and they say, Hey, we have a hundred thousand dollars for a commercial Mm -hmm. and we want you to do this and this and this. If you calculate it with the union fees, it'll come out to $200,000, right. right? So you have to say to them, you either don't get the job or you try to shoot non-union, which, you know, I guess is what happened with us. Now, so how does a shoot get flipped from non-union
0: mm-hmm. to union? Right. So typically what happens is, it's like, I think someone on the crew takes a look around they say they count how many awesome, like big trucks you've got and how many people are there. And they say to themselves, it looks like this production company has enough money to pay people unions. And they're not. So uh, they send. Right. Or oftentimes they'll say like, ooh, this is a giant. Yeah.
1: You know, it's Ford. It's Toyota. It's yeah. It's yeah. NBC rich people. And they're trying to
0: rip us off by being non-union. And there's enough money at stake that they need to finish this job. Like, it's like, it's not a thing where Toyota will just be like, well, never mind then. They've spent six months developing the, you know, the spots and all this stuff. So, they feel like there's enough invested that people are just going to, you know, need to follow through on that. It. It's probably
1: worth mentioning that almost every job that flips from non-union to union is a multi-day job.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's totally true. So, someone typically just sends a call sheet, puts a call into their local union and says, like, hey, I think. Right. So, they yeah. have to be a union member. To right. They're, they're typically a union member, Tip, right? Typically, but not always, actually. It doesn't have to be. Um, I think that I remember when I was younger, a lot of my friends got into the union because of a flip, and like they were ready to send in a call sheet. They were like looking for it. They were like, like this is the way to do it.
1: <laughs> right. One of the ways to get into a union, you have to have worked a certain number of union days in order to get into the union, right. I- but you don't get the union jobs if you're not in the union. So the best way to get in is to
0: work a non-union job that becomes union while you're on it. So it really depends on what side of the fence you're on. But like I remember coming up, especially my camera friends would refer to it as getting lucky. Like they all joined the union, not through having to work, you know, 800 days or whatever it is, uh, probably 100 non-union days or something. It's probably bonkers the number of hours you have to get um, or you've just flip. And so like from their perspective, it was like, you know, it was a windfall.
1: I do remember like when I was doing more grip and electric work, like some people would be like, Oh, you should, you want to get on this movie? Word is that it's probably going to flip. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Which is what happened. I think with mine, I think there was a little bit of whispering of like, ah, this is big enough. It's like, um, it was five days of shooting. So about halfway through, there was like a picket line and everything. Everyone left at lunch and, um, you know, lawyers got on the phone and worked it out.
1: What would you say is kind of in L.A. like the line that would flip a shoot? Like if you're doing a shoot for $10,000, there's like no chance it'll flip. If you're doing a shoot for a million dollars, there's a very, a high, very chance high chance it'll flip. Yeah, you know. What? And somewhere in the middle is a 50-50 chance.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think your, your instinct of like how many days it's shooting for is... Is right that's gonna be a big factor in it because like it does take time to actually you know send in that call sheet and like make sure that everything checks out and like oftentimes the unions will call in advance you know if it's a big company they'll like be like hey you know we're considering this what do you have to say they want the easiest responses possible and I think in my case the company I was working for was playing a little hardball I think I don't know Um, Right. So so in your case, when you talk about the picket line,
1: it's basically everyone on the crew that is in the union says the union says, hey, we're striking. No, 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 no.
0: everyone. Everyone who ever has the hope of ever being in a union. So whether they were in the union or not, they got a phone call from their local chapter that was like, hey, Orin, if you ever want to join my union, you've got to leave this set now. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I thought it was only the union people. And so, it, it, you know, I've talked about it. At the time, it was really hard to not take personally because right. a, a lot of my friends, people I'd worked with for years, just kind of slu- like quietly slipped out at lunch.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, now that it's happened to me, I, you know, we didn't have the picket line. We just kept going. We were like literally halfway through day two when the producer, or the AD or someone mentioned to me like, by the way, you know, we flipped, right? I was like, no, I had no idea. Oh, you know what? I think Miss 2059, my new form shoot also flipped, it but it was like yeah. in retrospect. Um, but I was like kind of upset because so so the reason I want to bring it up is because I think there's a little misconception and I have my perspective. I mean, I could be wrong, but this is the way I see it. Like you have a bunch of people. Our crew was was treated so well. The days weren't hard. No, we were in great weather, the food was great, everything, everyone was appreciated. There was like no disgruntled workers that I know of, Mm -hmm. right? But I think the people that are calling and trying to flip the shoot are like, hey, this is a giant client, they have a ton of money, you know, there's a bunch of us here in the union, look at all the trucks, look at all the crew, look at all this stuff, like this should be a union shoot. We're gonna flip it and we're gonna like screw the client, this giant corporation, right? Um, and so when it flips, they feel like, oh, awesome, now we're getting our insurance, we're getting our pension, we're getting our safety concerns addressed, um, and we're screwing this giant corporation that who gives a shit, right? right? But I guess the way I see it is that giant corporation doesn't care if it's union or not union, and if the shoot flips, they're not giving one more cent to the shoot. The right. entity that takes the hit is the production company, mm-hmm.
0: right? It depends, um, actually, on who negotiated the contract. The, product, Which contract? Uh, the contract between the production company and the agency or the agency and the um, corporation. I know that in some cases, um, the agency pays and not the production company.
1: Well, interesting. Well, it's probably pretty rare that the client pays, the name that everyone sees. Right,
0: yeah. Coca-Cola is never paying for whether or not it's agent. Right.
1: right. So you're yeah. working on a Coke commercial and it flips union Coke is not paying anymore. Someone is losing that that additional money. And yes, it's a risk, it's a calculated risk that that a company takes to go non-union on a shoot that is on the is borderline flippable. Right. Right? But the repercussions now is now this production company is going to say like, "Well, you know what? Now we're not going to do multi-day shoots in LA anymore because we can't go union because we can't afford you know we would never get the job if it was union because we don't have enough money based on the budget yeah so in order to get the job we have to go non-union we go non-union we can't shoot in la (laughs) and now i'm like uh my i love shooting in la it's like i get to go home at night i get to hire all the best people in the world to work on this
0: stuff your money isn't going towards like lodging people or flying them anywhere
1: right we have the best actors in the world here like now i have to go cast out of somewhere else and it's like now there's all these little cities like phoenix i heard is an up-and-coming city to fly fly some cast in yeah it's pretty inexpensive to put them up and fly them over there and there's no union issues you know i don't know it's i guess i i did take it personally because i felt like it's not that i took it personally i felt like the crew kind of felt like they had this big win over the evil corporation where in reality they had a small win over the small company that's now losing a lot of money on this job and will probably not hire these people again you know i mean i I hope they will i'm going to fight to hire them again and to figure it out to go to union whenever we can right but the problem is if i'm getting multi-million dollar commercials obviously we go union but if i'm getting a two hundred thousand dollar commercial it's probably going to be non-union right um and the other place that is SAG, you know, which I freaking love SAG. Every single job I ever get, I'm like, let's make this SAG. We will get the best actors in the world. And every time the client's like, no, we've decided to not go SAG. We don't want to pay residuals. And it's like, (laughs) ah, so frustrating. So I just, I don't know. I usually do not really care much about unions and I would never think it's an interesting topic for our podcast, but only because I was so immersed in it last week, I, I wanted to bring it up. And I'm sure some people, especially... Uh, some of our listeners that are more like DPs, gaffers, and you know, costume designers are working on various sides of the camera, probably will get into it when they're in
0: L.A. at some point, or if they're in L.A. right now. Yeah, I mean, I think to me, it's just that we're in such a transitional period. And now that streaming media and online media is like lucrative, I think that the unions have to figure it out. And I think that they maybe ignored it early on and now... They don't have as much jurisdiction over it. And so it's created this glut of non-union work that I think is ultimately hurting all of us and that we won't be able to retire. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Well, it's a catch-22 because I I agree. That's exactly my theory, too. Like, why is there so much non-union work now? You know, when Coke used to say, we're going to spend a million dollars advertising Coke Zero, they would go and they'd make two 30-second commercials and air them, right? Now they make two 30-second commercials, like a 45-second commercial, a branded content thing, like 10 socials, this, all for that same million dollars. So now the budgets are so tiny that, that Coke is still spending the same amount of money, but they're trying to make 10 times as many things. And it's good because there's more content and there's more work for creators and directors and crews like us, but it sucks because there's way less money. So the nice thing is when you're not working on commercials, when you're working on TV and movies, you don't really have to worry about that as much. Right. Right. You just worry about making good stuff and not reaching all these different demos in weird ways. So anyhow, on that note, should we move into unpaid endorsements?
0: Unpaid endorsements.
1: Orin, what you got? Well, going back to my shoot, I hate myself for not knowing the name of the software, but maybe you will Uh, on my comcast shoot we had a vtr person Mm -hmm. which is awesome i've had them before but usually they're kind of the first person to go you know with the drone operator uh when you're trying to cut the budget down but so the vtr person they kind of take a big load off of the camera department because they're setting up all the monitors for the client Mm -hmm. and for the director they have their own monitors and they can play back any clip right you're like hey play back that last take so on this shoot specifically we had the very final shot of the each spot was a split screen between two different living rooms and the couches and the coffee tables and the artwork on the back, mm-hmm. everything had to line up perfectly. So we had our VTR guy, you know, play the, the shot from our previous location, do a split screen with our current camera shot. And that way we can mm-hmm. no, dress for sure. our shot yeah, yeah. to make it line up perfectly. So, I also pulled them at Enlow and I was like, hey, I'd love to have a remote monitor. Yeah, buddy. Right? And usually, the past few times I've done that, they've given me these handles with the Anton Bauer, like a giant, uh-huh. like yeah. five pound battery on the back of like a small HD monitor. I'm carrying this thing around, keep putting it down because it's so heavy. What they gave me this time was a freaking iPad, like a super light iPad. Oh. Had this program on it called like Qframe or something. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll try to find the name. But. It was so light. It had the camera image, you know, through Wi-Fi. If there were two cameras, he could put it in split screen or I can tap and Mm -hmm. full screen each camera and I can just carry it with me. It was just awesome. It was just like a really, really amazing experience. So um, VTR, uh, I don't know. I I guess like even on a low-budget shoot, you could probably, without a VTR person, just get that program and the transmitter and... Be, have the monitor in your pocket yeah. like if you had an ipad mini or something i
0: wonder yeah i wonder how they um yeah i feel like i've only heard of those sorts of options with vtr people because also like you can give uh, a code and then it can just stream to your phone so you can give it to clients yeah. so all client uh, everybody has a monitor if they want one you know yeah just in their you, pocket. Just, you might
1: have to install the app Yeah. but um but it's awesome and you get all the camera information you get yeah i the one thing I couldn't figure out, which I'm sure you could do, is how to do a screen capture. But how cool is it Like while you're shooting? You're like, oh, wait, let's remember this setup, screen capture, and now let's change the art right, around right. Sh- or wardrobe or whatever. Um, so, yeah, if you go to my Instagram, which is at O. Kaplan? Yeah. in
0: Kaplan. Yeah, it's O. Kaplan.
1: I actually have no idea what my Instagram is. You can see a picture that I took of the screen, of the iPad screen, and it's pretty awesome. It's a picture of me. On camera, because I had the monitor with oh, me. Oh, fun. So anyhow, I guess that's my unpaid endorsement
0: is to is the iPad VTR. Mm. <laughs> Very unspecific. <laughs> Pretty great. You know what, Oren? I'm going to endorse, uh, we talked about it already, but I'm going to endorse keeping a spreadsheet of all of your contacts for crews. Use Google Docs? Yeah, it's a Google Doc. Yeah, and then it just makes it really easy to copy and paste anytime someone is asking, or you just need to refresh your memory on somebody. Yeah, having a having a Google Doc with all of those. And then also, I think sorting them by city is really nice as well, because then anytime you go to a city, you can sort and be like, oh, I know these people um, who are available in this city. And that's really nice as well. And you can also, I have a friend who does it for just any person that she knows. And so she always remembers like, oh, I'm in New York right now. I should hit up these people.
1: Mm. So after a shoot, you just take the call sheet and call just sheet. put it all in there? Yep. One by
0: one manually? Yeah. I mean, you can copy and paste stuff, but like it's also it's not that hard. And it's not like I pull every person. It's when I'm like, oh, oh I like really like this person. Yeah, exactly. You don't want to endorse someone you don't believe in or stand behind. Yeah, it would
1: be cool if you could actually just stick the call sheets into like, I wish you could like embed files into those. Google Docs spreadsheets in an easy way that's not so
0: clunky. Yeah, but you don't want all of that extra gack. You don't need to know where the nearest hospital was. You just want to know, who was my gaffer on that job? Oh, I really liked him. Or her. Good endorsement. (laughs) Thanks, buddy. Endorsement. Um, Um, Cool.
1: Cool. Well, if you guys want to endorse anything, let us know what you think of the show. Email us. We love getting your emails. Even if we don't respond to you, always we read everything and intend to respond to everything at some point i think
0: we get back to you eventually just kind of depends on how busy we are and how long we're in front of a computer
1: you can email us at just at gmail.com you can find us on facebook instagram twitter we're at just shoot a pod everywhere
0: leave us a voicemail we love getting your voicemails
1: 2626 two, shoot one and if you have left us a voicemail and we haven't played it yet we are going to we're going to do an episode of uh, listener questions coming up soon um, you can follow me on Instagram at okaplan, Or check out my website at
0: directedbyorin.com You can check me out at Mr. Matt Inlow On all social platforms And you can check out the Just Shoot It Twitter At Just Shoot It Pod We're doing some cool stuff over there Trying to get that community growing
1: Yeah, Just Shoot It is produced by Madeline Rosewat. This episode was edited by Jay McAuliffe And our webmaster is Ewan Williams and The music is provided by The Free Music Archive And the artist Jazar Leave us an iTunes review Thanks everyone we'll See you next time